You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Olinger, joined by Sean Kennedy. And Sean, last night was bad. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, those games are bound to happen. Uh, The Sixers are still in first place. We're still a positive podcast. But yeah, it wasn't great. Um, No Ben Simmons, so we, we can say that the full starting lineup is remains undefeated and that's um, you are not a true Sixers fan until you have referenced a the starting lineup needing to be fully healthy it happens every year for the last four yeah but the, the, they, they weren't always undefeated though so that that is a difference um it's a mantra I repeat when I wake up and go to bed every day and uh, I think we can use that to carry us through as we uh, approach a big game on Saturday against the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, so we are recording this Friday morning. So we'll be coming out to you guys later today. I uh, decided to do this so we could react to the Blazers game that happened Thursday night. The Sixers losing 121 to 105. And it, honestly, a score that made it closer than it actually was. To... Yeah, I think they ended the game on an 11-0 run. <laughs> yeah, the Blazers without... Yusuf Nurkic without Damian Lillard without CJ McCollum and you know sometimes you get victimized by Carmelo Anthony and CJ Ellaby and that's exactly what happened apparently <laughs> um Gary Trent's gonna go off that oh yeah that, that's just bound to happen well, everybody yeah, watched the Trent, bubble I mean Gary Trent's really a really good player like that isn't as much just it's more like CJ Ellaby scoring a bunch of points on you racking up steals like that kind of hurts like you were hoping for a little more than that yeah, he that, he was clearly more energetic than anyone the Sixers had playing in the second half, really. The fact that the Blazers were able to play Kelgen Blevins the last four minutes. who Like, you know me. I know a lot of players in the NBA. I, like, know all these, like, random guys. Who is Kelgen Blevins? And he got in. He shot 1-3 right after they blew a whistle for an offensive foul for the Blazers. And I, he missed he missed the rim and the backboard by, like, a significant number of feet. <laughs> so I was just, that was that kind of night. <laughs> was that his first career appearance? I, it might've been, I want to check. Was that Kelgen Blevins first ever? Appear- no, he has gotten in eight games somehow. Oh, but he only, well, averaged- well, he's, he's an experienced veteran at this point then. He's an experienced veteran. <laughs> oh man. But you did mention the big thing of the Sixers that Prior to last night's game, I would say about an hour before we were informed that Ben Simmons would not be playing, which, you know, as we've shown in our multiple flow charts, usually the Sixers, they do not win if Joel Embiid is not playing. But if he is, we think even with Ben Simmons' absence, especially against a depleted Blazers team, the Sixers should be able to take care of business. They did not. Uh, I guess, you know, if you're trying to look for a silver lining, it's proof that, yeah, Ben Ben Simmons is still really good. And he matters a lot to this team. And I think what I really saw was just with how they struggled on to keep the Blazers off the offensive glass, to slow down anyone on the wings, whether it was Ellaby, Rodney Hood, or Carmelo Anthony, that the Sixers, when Ben Simmons isn't playing, really aren't that big on the wing, like playing defense. And it's just – it's really hard if you don't have large wing defenders – to play good NBA defense. Like, I think it was Mike Prada who brought it up that, like, the reason Mikhail Bridges succeeds so well is that he just covers a lot of space. And that's such a valuable tool to have in the NBA where you have these guys that just, those gaps that appear when, because NBA players are incredible on offense, they're the best scorers in the world, you can just immediately cover the ground that you open up. 
And Ben Simmons does that just as well as anyone in the NBA. He just covers a lot of ground in a short amount of time. But you take him out, and suddenly it's like, yeah, Shake Milton's 6'6". We like him for point guard size. He's not that big covering defense. Matisse does a great job getting blocks, getting his hands everywhere for deflections. Still only around 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, He's not a super strong guy. Seth Curry's a pretty small dude. Danny Green, despite having some long arms and not being tiny, is like still only 6'5". You have Tyrese Maxey's a short dude for an NBA player. Like Furkan Korkmaz, 6'7", but he's not exactly – Furkan's not exactly a defensive stopper, although he's probably one of the few guys who I think had a decent – I mean, looking at his line now, 5 for 14. I, I didn't think Furkan was horrible last night, despite missing most of his threes. He was he was well down the list on reasons they lost. We'll say I mean, that. Me and Andrew Andrew Underberger for uh, the rights to Ricky Sanchez had a little celebration. He finally hit that floater, first <laughs> time ever. But um, I, I think you get what I'm saying, Sean. It's just like it's a reminder of the Sixers are a good team, but they're not a particularly deep team with veterans who can easily replace what they miss when their best players are out, and the identity seems very much like. I mean, Joel's the anchor that everything kind of revolves. He's the, he's the center that everything revolves around, both offensively. I mean, what an unbelievable first half from Joel last night with 31 points, just racking up point after point, literally carrying the Sixers through the first half. He, he tied a franchise record for yeah. most points in a quarter, tying the legendary Andrew Tony. So it's kind of startling that you could have a player playing historically well and your team is still down by 20-some points in the second half. Yeah, so, so not a great job by the rest of the Sixers. Yeah, so, like, Embiid is what everything centers around, both offensively and defensively hold things together. But Embiid, Embiid is still a heavier center. He can't exactly stop wing, scoring wings, which are the big rage in the NBA. That's kind of Ben Simmons' job. So you kind of need both of them to do that. And just one of them being out kind of throws that all off balance. So. I well, it's obviously not a good night. I think it's an interesting night. I mean, obviously, those who are still firmly in the Ben Simmons camp and those who didn't want to trade him, it's a big night for them saying, hey, look at this. Like, look what happens to this team's defense when the guy who's the team's pro- the best perimeter defender on the team goes out and suddenly just they can't stop anyone. Yeah, for sure. I, I wouldn't phrase it as or, or frame it as much as the Sixers don't have good length or size on the wings as just – Ben is exceptional. And when you lose a guy who's 6'10", one of the faster players in the league, great defensive instincts, the, the, the size and speed to, to keep up with players across probably four positions, you're, you're, you're going to see a drop-off in, in your defense. Um, like, yeah, I think Matisse and Danny Green and you know, Shake has good size for a guard. I think they're all fine. And I wouldn't say that the Sixers are lacking in that department. It's just that they go from kind of average to one of the better defenses in the league just because of what Ben provides. And it's noticeable when he's not out there. And not only do you, you, you lose out on the defense, you lose out on the transition opportunities that him being out there creates, whether it's him causing deflections or steals or getting rebounds and immediately pushing uh, the ball of court. And uh, I think the offense suffered as well as a result because he's not uh, creating those odd man opportunities and kicking out to an open man for three where he's leading the league in three point assists this season. And I don't think it's entirely coincidence that the Sixers started 0 for 12 from three in <laughs> last night's game. So there's, there's some correlation there. Um, yeah. I mean, the, Luckily, Ben's injury wasn't serious. It, it seemed like it was just kind of like, hey, he's not feeling 100%. This could be a good spot to get him a little rest uh, on a back-to-back. So I'd expect him to be out there tomorrow against Brooklyn. Um, so we don't have to discuss how they're playing without Ben too much longer because hopefully he'll be right back out there. But yeah, he's you know he was first-team all-defense, and that was well-deserved. He's clearly one of the best defensive players in the world. And they didn't have him, so there was a drop-off, to be sure. The other big storyline probably to keep track of is, I think that's two straight games with zero points for Seth Curry. Only played about 12 minutes in this one. They showed on the broadcast. It looked like he got hit in the head by that, like an accidental like moving screen from Robert Covington. Um, 
I like how, because it's Covington, you frame it so carefully, like an accidental moving screen. It's not like he was, it's not like a, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, like, this is not like Mark Gasol swatting down on Embiid's hand as he would always do or something like that. This is very much Covington, Rocco accidentally bumped into Seth pretty hard. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't intentional. It was, but I, I just like because we love Covington. You were like so careful to point out that oh, he would never do something intentionally to harm somebody. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, it was. He was just trying to make a basketball play, and it just kind of happened. Um, yeah, unfortunately, Seth, since Seth came back from testing positive for COVID, he's hasn't been. Well, he's still been pretty good. He hasn't been the like just unbelievable sharpshooter he was prior to the positive test. Uh, I think. Like, you know, it's, like, very much nitpicking where he was shooting 60-60-100 splits before the case. Now he's at 50-49-100. So, you know. But, um, yeah, like, or do we think Seth is still – do we think it's just Seth's been having – this is just normal regression for Seth and that – and also playing two teams that just guarded him pretty well before the, he got, went out last night? Or – like, it's been floated. Do you think Seth is still recovering from his bout with COVID and that could be affecting him a little bit? Obviously, still, it's not like he's been actively bad. It's just like Seth, you made, we could make an argument for Seth as the second most important player to the team's offense the first, like, 10 games of the season. Yeah, I, I do think he's still impacted by that. Um, I, I actually copied down the quote from Doc Rivers' presser after the game last night um so i'm going to read that off which i'm sure is great great audio for a podcast but uh here we go um so doc says he just looks tired and he's looked like that for a while so we just need to be very safe we're in uncharted waters with all this stuff and the stuff he's referring to is covid and he said he didn't feel great and that's all we needed to hear we just have to be very careful right now so there's been a couple times where Doc's kind of brought that up. Like, Hey, he just, it comes and goes. He hasn't felt like his old self. And as he just said, we're, we're all in kind of uncharted territories with the effects of COVID. Um, In most cases, even if people are mildly symptomatic, it kind of goes away after that 10 to 14 day window. But there have been plenty of documented cases of people that feel lingering effects for months afterwards. And it's not always something totally extreme, but sometimes it's just, hey, I feel really sluggish when I get up in the morning. and I just don't have the energy I usually do. Um, so maybe for a regular individual, like you can still go about your day-to-day life and it's not really going to affect you. But if you're a professional athlete that you have to be at the 99th percentile of fitness and energy in order to perform at this elite level against other top athletes who are, you know, in this upper echelon of ability and talent for their given profession. Like if you're not there, there's going to be a noticeable drop off. And yeah, I, I think we we've seen Seth not have the type of performances we saw in the beginning of the year. And it's not just like shooting the, it's not just whether the shots go in, like he's not getting as open coming off screens or creating shots for himself. And he hasn't been quite as sharp on defense. Um, Like the Portland game, he left early, but even the night before against Charlotte, when he went scoreless, he was noticeably bad on both ends. He was a real negative on the floor for the Sixers. And even, even in games earlier where, you know, he wasn't hitting, if there was a game, he wasn't hitting three to four threes and he was kind of quiet offensively. He was still doing a lot of positive things for the team. And we just haven't seen that the last couple games. And yeah, it, it does seem like it's affecting him. And uh, I, I don't, there's no like, Oh, this will go away in a couple weeks or we just don't know. It's, you know, it's a pandemic that we've never experienced before. And we just kind of have to play it by ear and hope for the best, I guess. Yeah, I like I, obviously neither of us being COVID experts, it's hard to say for sure. Oh, this we can see clearly here, like this is the cause and this is the effect on Seth Curry. Um, I definitely think some of it too is just, I mean, I, I discussed at length how Seth does a lot of things better than JJ Reddick did, who, which, which is obviously usually the comparison we go to as people who watch the Sixers, you know, 
the shooter who runs a ton of dribble handoffs with Joel Embiid. Seth is a slightly better defender than J.J. Redick, has probably a little more off-the-dribble game, even probably hits standstill, catch-and-shoot threes better. But J.J. is just such a weird, like, I can sprint 100 miles per hour to my right, be falling out of bounds, but if I just get in line while I'm sprinting, I'm going to make the shot, and I can get it off. Because J.J. Redick, like, jumps forward five feet every time he shoots. Yeah, J.J. is probably the NBA leader throughout history in running full speed to shoot a corner three and ending up in the fifth row <laughs> while the ball's going through the net. Like he, no one can do that. Like JJ can for sure. Yeah. So it's just there. Seth is a little, his release is a little bit slower. He's not jumping super high. So it's harder to get it off. It's just, there are going to be some nights where you can take Seth out. And we, that's why Seth up until this point in his career had been a backup. And he's still like, again, he still would be shooting 50, 49, 100 splits. It's not exactly like Seth is hurting the team right now. Of One thing, though, I just looked up that I thought was interesting. So Seth Curry at home has a true shooting percentage of 73.4%. On the road, 60.1%. That's a – like, I mean, obviously that's just more like, oh, that's interesting than, you know, some, like, tangible, like, this is clearly affecting here. But, like, that's, that's a pretty sizable gap in true shooting percentage. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what this split is from pre and post his his absence. Um, I, I know they just had that three game road trip, so whether the the amount of road games he played is more skewed towards when he came back from the the COVID illness versus what the home road split was like before. Um, so I, I I think I think he's just been worse overall since since then versus any home road splits but I'd be interested to see that but we also know that um, I mean usually the Sixers are it's been for the case for the last few seasons the Sixers are a home team not a road team so maybe it's just rubbing off on Seth yeah I mean to to the Sixers credit I think they've been a little bit better on the road this season past years they 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 just had to be better than last year (laughs) yeah uh for sure Uh, and they but they they just went three and oh on their their recent road trip which which was excellent and something that we never would have happened last year. And uh, I, I think they've just been better overall in, in, in both whether they're at home or on the road. Um, but yeah, they, they, most, most teams are slightly better at home. Uh, you have more familiarity with the sight lines of the baskets and everything, and you slept in your own bed and everything else. You, you have your more stable routine, which, you know, JJ on his, podcast has talked a lot about especially for shooters how important having a a fixed routine is um kind of for the mindset that you need to be an elite shooter so it's got to be easier to get into those routines when you're at home versus the road so yeah i I mean i would expect a a slightly better performance on at home uh, overall so given the small sample size none of that is too shocking to me Mm -hmm. so last thing i wanted to touch on here before we move on to our basically next subject is and I I hinted at it earlier just with talking about how some of the how I was concerned about some of the lack of size on the perimeter if Ben Simmons like because Ben masks a lot of that because he's gigantic for his skill set um I just get so like I'm gonna try and phrase this the right way the Sixers starting lineup makes sense you know it's Joel Embiid the superstar Two, we'll just say, even though Ben Simmons has made an All-NBA team and an All-Star team, Tobias Harris is not, but is contending for one, which we'll get into later. We'll say Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons are two All-Star caliber players. Like, that sound right? Just All-Star caliber. Like, yeah. Could... I, I think Tobias hasn't made it, but if, if he did, it wouldn't be crazy. So calling him an All-Star caliber player seems fine. If we're just finding All-Star caliber by, like, top 40 players in the league, then you can probably make an argument for both of them. Definitely there. Yeah, sure. Danny Green and Seth Curry, who are both very good players who can't aren't stars because of limited like skills in certain areas, but are very good at one important thing, which is shooting. What Dan, I mean, maybe Seth's a better shooter, but Danny Green's not a better defender, but both two very good fourth and fifth options within your starting lineup who complement your best players. And then you have Dwight Howard as the typical backup center, has flaws, but we still like some of the stuff he does. Hasn't been as good as maybe he started the year, but like that makes sense to normal backup center. 
And then the four other spots in the Sixers' top ten of the rotation are four guys who – so just going through them, you have the rookie Tyrese Maxey, and then Shake Milton, Matisse Thibel, and Furkan Korkmaz. No matter how you want to categorize them in youth in terms of their age or how many years have been in the league, for our purposes, are functionally in like the second years of their career in terms of actually getting rotation time. Matisse, obviously, in his second year of his career, so that makes sense. Shake Milton really only started to get into the rotation last year, and, that, and then he's had this year. Same thing for Furkan Korkmaz. And I just worry sometimes, like, so it's just such a weird thing. You have this normal starting lineup for the Sixers in terms of how it's constructed, a normal backup center, and then just four perimeter guys who are all very young and have not played in the NBA that long, and that's just the 10. I, there's not many... There's not many NBA teams built like that, and there's not many contending NBA teams built like that. A lot of the contending teams, you know, trade off their youth for veterans. I mean, look at the Lakers. Usually they've now they have more because they have Taylor Horton Tucker's had a big year year for them so far, but still just or the Clippers, like the Clippers do not have many young guys that fit that mold. They're just a lot of veterans have been traded around for, for a couple of younger guys, but it's still like even a young guy like Luke Kennard, who plays for the Clippers, has been in the league now. I think it's his fourth year. So I just find it interesting that the Sixers are constructed like that. And I worry sometimes just that's asking a lot of these guys who have had some struggles. Like Matisse has been playing better, but he's still – Matisse is not an offensive threat, really. He, he's athletic. He'll try and do some stuff. He'll occasionally hit a three, but that's about it, you know. Shake Milton, who I wrote about, which maybe I'm starting to get a little concerned that after, so I wrote about Tobias being not good enough, and then Tobias got great. I wrote about how good Shake is, and Shake has played a little worse recently. But um, Shake, like, the shot has just not been falling from three as much as it was last year. Teams, I think, are starting to play him a little more for those short mid-range shots that he was, he's been so good at. Tyrese Maxey, we all love him. Looks like he's going to be really good. Still an incredible at finisher, but the three-point shot is not where it needs to be at really to super threaten defenses. And then, I mean, Furkan, like, I tweeted this out last night. Uh, Sean, have you seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail? I saw it once years ago. So there's, yeah. there's, there's a scene where they're at the French castle, I believe it is, and the French soldier's just making fun of them. He's like, and he starts, like, doing this really, making this really weird sound they can't figure out. And the one night, goes like what a strange person that's me watching Furkan Korkmaz at all times he is <laughs> bizarre I, Spike Eskins take that his feet are too big I've started like I muttered it to myself when he stepped out of bounds that one time like you gotta be kidding me. why are you do like either his feet are too big or he just positions his feet in way too like wide a stance that it just feels like he takes up the whole baseline steps out of bounds because he does it all the time the floater is weird he can still get his three off whenever he wants though because he has a high release point and he like doesn't need to dip when he shoots at all like he'll be flat-footed you swing it to him and he's just ready to shoot it's he's a bizarre player and I still like Furkan it's just very very strange player to watch and I just I, I don't know if this is like you're if I'm making sense here if like my argument just like do you get at all concerned that the Sixers are relying this much on these four guys who do not have much NBA experience at all yeah, he for, just uh, quickly on Korkmaz, he he definitely leads the league in stepping out of bounds along the <laughs> along the wing corner area there. Um, I suspect it's because of the the four point line the Sixers have at their practice facility, and maybe he's just so attuned to to being on that that when he gets on the little smaller court, yeah, th- that he he only needs to be hugging the three point line that. Yeah that kind of affects him. Given what we know about Furkan, that he's like the most self-confident player on the Sixers. He probably just chucks four pointers all practice. Yeah. I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, but to, to answer your question, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about it. When the playoffs roll around, it's not going to be a 10 man rotation. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're probably talking about a nine man rotation. One of them is going to be Dwight. I think it's pretty obvious the trade deadline acquisition is going to be somebody to upgrade Mike Scott's position as, as a stretch four, or may, or maybe even somebody that can play 
a few minutes as a stretch five. So you, you got, and that'll probably, that I'm sure that'll be a veteran because those are the kind of guys that get moved at the deadline for whatever limited assets the Sixers are going to be willing to offer to upgrade that position. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to have to wait and veteran stretch four X is going to be two of what I suspect will be the, the four bench players that see rotation minutes in the playoffs. And then it's, it's going to be shake because he's kind of proven to be the, the microwave scorer guy off the bench that they need. And then I, I suspect it'll be either Korkmaz or uh, Matisse given what they need in a particular game, whether they need some instant offense and some shooting, or they need another guy to help on the perimeter defensively. Um, it, it would it would really be shocking to me if, if Maxi had a consistent role in the playoffs, just given well, we Doc's, hi- yeah, Doc's history of rookies in the playoffs. And, you know, Maxi's looked great and we all in, in, in spurts and we all really like him a lot, but I, I, I don't think he's shown anywhere near the, near the consistency needed for us to feel confident in him as a playoff contributor. So it, it, it all kind of, to me hinges on is shake the guy that people were saying he could win six man of the year and was putting up like 15 to 18 points a night on efficient shooting. Or is he the guy that some nights he's going to do that. And some nights he's going to have four points and not, and kind of look lost out there. Um, I think that that would be the only kind of swing outcome that has me at all concerned because about 14 months ago, Shake was like a 11th or 12th man on the bench. And there was this whirlwind where suddenly he had a couple good games last year and he has a good training camp and it's like, oh my God, Shake Milton, he's one of the best bench players in the league now. And, you know, he's shown he can be, uh, is he like, definitely. I don't know that yet. Um, so I, I think that's the only thing that has me at all worried is like, is shake that high caliber bench scorer that can do that night in and night out in the playoffs, or is he kind of, you know, some t- nights he'll have and some nights he doesn't, and that's not going to cut it in the postseason. So, other than that, I'm not really too worried. I think the the Dwight and veteran guy they get to fill Mike Scott's spot, like that's good enough. And then they can cobble together whatever they need on a given night between Korkmaz and Matisse as kind of the ninth ninth man who might not play more than eight to ten minutes in a postseason game. Um, and it all kind of hedges on shake. And, you know, he's done enough that I'm, I'm still encouraged and I feel – positively about his growth going forward so I'm not too worried when you said that they need to cobble the ninth man together with Matisse and Furkan it made me think of in the Liberty Ballers like (laughs) yeah I've seen this yeah the one person edited the picture together after they lost the Pacers lost to the Sixers it said like um Congrats! Lost to Furkis Workful, I think it was. <laughs> you know, we get some fantastic comments. That one made me laugh pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, it even had a a really good Photoshop of like if if they, if they were merged into one person, what they would look like. So yeah, good job there. <laughs> if you gave them each other's skill sets, like they would be a pretty good player. Like they do cover some of each other's deficiencies. Um, yeah, that that would be like a top. 40 NBA player <laughs> like Matisse defensively who could shoot <laughs> that's yeah that'd be an outstanding player no but I definitely get what you're saying that and like I said a little worried about shake but he has shot well pretty much his whole career in college coming up to this point I, the three-point shot I think will come back around and that's why you trust shake is it's just hard to find guys at 6-6 who can effectively dribble shoot and even though he's not a great passer can still pass like and, and then, you know, like defensively, Shake's not a stopper, but because he's 6'6 and has long arms and knows what to do, he's not like clueless out there. Like he's still fine on that end. So it's just hard to find guys who can do that. So I do think Shake is guaranteed like that seventh spot with Dwight as the bench. And then, you know, come playoff time, maybe it's an eight-man rotation and the eighth guy is whoever the Sixers try and target with a midseason acquisition. That's another guy like to play plug and play for everybody else because – you, you don't necessarily need more guards off the bench. You can just, like, slot in, shake as the ball handler, and, and bench units have one of Seth Curry or Danny Green with them. But 
I totally get what you're saying with the other guys. Like, uh, so it is concerning now, like when I watch it, but I, I know what you're saying that Maxi, Furkan, and Matisse, none of those three are guaranteed to probably be necessary contributors in the playoffs. And I mean, as much as we love Maxi, the thing is just at that height, you either need to be just a ridiculous scorer or somehow p- cobble together really good defense, which there are very few guys at that height who have ever been plus defenders. Like it's what makes Chris Paul amazing is that he's been a plus defender so for so long at that height. And then if you're not that you have to be like Lou Williams, where it's, where it's like, yeah, I get scored on all the time, time, but the, I can basically somehow draw fouls, somehow slither around guys. Like it's just very hard that height. And I think Maxie can get to that kind of point where he's so good offensively and capable enough defensively because we've seen that he definitely has the effort and like the strength for that size to do it he's just not there yet in terms of understanding the NBA so he can definitely get to that point it's just it's probably not going to happen that's no indictment against Maxi. it's just it's very hard for a 6-1 rookie to be good like a net positive so plus you got to remember there wasn't summer league there mm -hmm. wasn't the normal training camp like they had what 10 days of between Mati or between Maxi getting drafted, and then ten days of training camp, and then he's in NBA games after you know a a limited college career. So he's still really young. He hasn't had a lot of development time, like off off the court and in non actual game situations. So yeah, I mean we're not we're not saying anything about his future prospects or his career projection we're just saying like it'd be crazy right now to consider him a lock to get postseason minutes like that's just being rational yeah maxi can he'll still end up as the greatest player of all time we just gotta <laughs> gotta let it flow we just gotta yeah. let it vacations can be tricky you already know how to book flights and hotels but now the only thing you're missing is you know the actual travel experience because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Um, so we're going to move on here because we talked enough about probably the Sixers as a whole and just rehashing what was a disappointing loss to Portland. But, you know, it happens. Amazingly, it's they're 16 and 7 after starting 20 and 7 last year. But the East is so much different. Last year, 20 and 7, the Sixers were like at fourth in the East. This year, at 16 and 7, they still have a two game lead on everybody else. The Hornets at are the Hornets who the Sixers have beaten three times are in sixth place in the conference at 10 and 12. Just a lot of teams bunched up together. There's a three-way tie for six at 10 and 12. Yeah. Too. <laughs> Including the Cavs who are 10 and 12, but have a minus five point differential. <laughs> like for one, it's just like, it's, it's a weird season and not everything makes sense, but you know, the Sixers in this weird season have still been one of the best teams, despite what was a very bad loss last night. Um, all-Star voting returns came out for the first time yesterday, and I don't look too much of those. I don't even really vote on a consistent basis, mainly because I just find fan voting to be like, I mean, just look at some of the voting results yesterday. Like, I love Clay Thompson. He should not be 10th in votes. He hasn't played. Um, He's out for the year. <laughs> yeah. Derek Rose, I get that why people like him. He had a good year last year. He should not be 7th in votes in Guards Eastern Conference. He's not that good this year. But, um... Tobias Harris was not in the top 10 for forwards in the East, which upset a lot of Sixers fans. And I understand it, especially because it's your guy. He's having a great year. And I've said Tobias deserves it. But going through, I just wanted to, us to kind of think through this out loud. 
it's just going to be hard to make the all-star team for Tobias because this is what I think doesn't get appreciated by enough people. There are just so many good players in the NBA nowadays. Like, I remember back in, like, the early 2010s, just a young kid, like, it was hard to come together with 24 all-stars sometimes. And sometimes you think, oh, I don't know if this guy deserves it or not, especially in then the mid-2010s of the East where you have four Atlanta Hawks making it where it's just like there's no one else to put here. No one else is that good. Jeff, I mean, Jeff Teague has an all-star appearance for Pete's sake. But now it's like we're just going to run through these teams and it's just going to be hard, especially in a year when – like, I mean, they're planning on playing the All-Star game, which is, you know, a whole nother topic. But there's only 12 spots to go around. Sometimes you can get up to, like, 13 or 14 if guys get injured. And I just think it's going to be hard for Tobias Harris to make it. Because if we just run through the teams, through the standings, like 1 through 15, and we'll t- think about the All-Stars from these teams, you'll see, like, it's just hard to find a spot for Tobias. Because we start – Joel Embiid's a lock. No question. That's one. Then. I mean, Sean, feel free to chime in here too whenever you want. But uh, I, um, I agree, Embiid is a lock. Yes, we 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 have deciphered that we have deduced this. Um, Giannis is a lock. Kevin Durant is a lock. Those are probably your three starting forwards. Giannis, and they, it's worth pointing out they were the top three in the fan vote. Yeah, so. that, that's right. And then your guards, like you can go back and forth. Like James Harden will make it. I know people don't like him. He hasn't played in the East all year. James Harden's still really freaking good. He's going to be a starter. And let's even just say Kyrie is a starter. Let's say those are our starting five just for this. And I think all five of them will make it. I I agree. Then also looking through it. So like Trey Young has played very well. He will make it. I think that's six. Any disagreement there, Sean? No, he's too big a name. He's playing well. And the Hawks are in that group that's tied for sixth. So the Hawks going from a lottery team to a team that's in playoff positioning if the season end today, like, and he's their best player. Like, yeah, that, that seems cut and dry to me. Brad Beal will make it despite the wizards not being very good. That's not Brad Beal's fault particularly. So he's leading the league in scoring. Yeah. Brad Beal will make it. That'll be seven. The Pacers are fifth in the East. And even though they've fallen off a little bit at 12 and 10, they probably need one. I mean, everyone's going to want to give them one all-star, and it's probably been DeMontis Sabonis. He so was an all-star last year. He's played just as good, if not better, this year. Yeah. Uh, the Pacers are playing well. I would argue that Brogdon is going to be in that we have to consider them group with yeah, Tobias Brogdon's also. consideration, but I'm just starting with guys who I right. think are almost locks, and I think Sabonis will get one. Yep, okay. And this is before we've gotten to the Celtics, who – Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown will make the all-star game. Like Kemba Walker will not because he's been injured and he even has been that great when he's come back. But Tatum and Brown have both played out of their minds. And that's why the Celtics, despite having a, what I consider a weak rotation for some parts, like there's been a lot of Javante Green and Shemi Ojale in Celtics games this year. And, but I, I think Brown and Tatum are probably both locks and that gets you up to 10. Like, do you have any disagreements with this so far, Sean? No. Uh, yeah. All 10 of those guys I would say are making it. So that's 10. And then we get, you know, who's played really well, even if their team's struggling. And I know some people disagree with this. Bam Adebayo has played great. He's had a mid-range shot. He looks really good. Bam will make it. Yeah, I had him. He's he's played better than last year. He was an all-star last year. He's great on both ends of the court. Uh, people saw how good he was in the postseason last year because the Heat made it to the finals. So he's a guy that everyone knows about now he's not under the radar and yeah he's really good he should be an all-star <laughs> so that's 11 and now we need to find a 12th all-star and i'm just going to run through everyone who's very close and i'm not even going to include guys who i think are in the deserve consideration category like i'll just get them out of the way now so they're not even going to be seriously considered for it even though they're still very good like i think john collins has played pretty well he's not going to get anything Colin Sexton's had a good season. I don't think we can consider him for this. Miles Turner's probably the defensive player. He's up there for defensive player of the year right now. I'm just not going to consider him just yet. Jeremy Grant has played really well, but he hasn't played at the Brad Beal level where your team's that bad. This, your team's still being that bad. You can still get consideration. And here just then the other guys to consider, like, I'll, I mean, from the Sixers, Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris. 
from the Bucks, Chris Middleton. From the Pacers, Malcolm Brogdon. From the Hornets, Gordon Hayward. From the, I mean, the Knicks, Julius Randle's played a great season. The Raptors, I mean, Kyle Lowry, I, I think Kyle Lowry I would consider over Pascal second. Although maybe even not either them. Maybe it's Fred Van Vliet. You know? <laughs> I was going to say, Van yeah. Vliet would be, if, if you said the Raptors need one all-star, like if it was baseball rules or something, I would give it to Van Vliet. So we'll, we'll go Fred Van Vliet there. Then the Chicago, I think I mentioned for the Chicago Bulls, Zach Levine's played really well. For the, like the Magic, by some metrics you look at, I think it was Taylor Snar's like estimated plus minus. Like it has the Magic as the worst team in the league right now because ever since Markel went down, they've just been getting killed. The only reason their offense is even barely watchable is because of Nikola Vucevic, who's probably having the best year of his career so far. It just feels like we've said that about Vooch three years in a row. So you just go through that. And now you can only pick one of those guys out of Nikola Vucevic, Zach Levine. We'll go with Fred Van Vliet from the Raptors, Julius Randle, Gordon Hayward, Malcolm Brogdon, Chris Middleton, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons. One of those guys gets the 12th spot. That is so hard to decipher. And like, who do you give it to? Like, honestly, when I look through that name, I don't even, I'm not sure who I would give it to. There's so many guys I want to give it to. I'd honestly kind of lean to Chris Middleton because I still think Middleton's incredible. I do too. I think he's been the best player for the Bucks this season. Ooh, that's a, I, I love Middleton, and I, he's definitely been their best fourth quarter player in close games. They've, the Bucks' fourth quarter offense basically at this point is give the ball to Chris and get out of his way. And he's still very – I mean, I think Middleton, if I can look it up here, he's, his shooting splits last time I checked are pretty incredible. So, like – Yeah, be, between Giannis, his, his free throw percentage has really dropped off, which is it's, – it's still positive offense, but it's not, like, incredible offense – be, like it has been in years past because of the frequency he gets to the line. Um, so he hasn't been as helpful there. The, the, the spacing issue with how egregiously they're, they're laying off him around the arc, it has been never more evident. And his, uh, his turnovers have been really high. Um, so he's still, he's still a very good defender, obviously, but offensively he hasn't been the kind of elite, contributor that he has been in past years um and Middleton has been so Middleton also very solid defender not not like one of the best in the league like Giannis is but very solid defender and he's just been amazing offensively so uh Giannis is obviously the better player I'm not saying that I just think we complain it has been a down year for Giannis but Giannis down year is still 27 11 6 and some of the best defense in the world yeah exactly it's pretty good um but uh like Chris Middleton's above 50 40 90 splits which related a lot of guys have been above 50 40 90 this year the three-point shooting's been out out of this world so far this season which a lot of people have said maybe it's due to just not having as many fans there like easier to focus on on the rims like stuff like that and how basically all these defenses that in years past in the last few years have been the best defenses in the league mainly miami toronto boston milwaukee which completely focused on just taking away the rim at all costs and giving up a lot of threes. Now, the defenses have all dropped off. Like, the Bucks have the best offense or the second-best offense in the league right now, but they're, like, middling in defense because teams have been making a lot of threes against them. Like, there's kind of been this change that's been going on. So that's a little interesting, but probably besides the point. Um, basically, just it's really hard to get Tobias Harris in that spot. Like, basically, we're assuming Tobias will get a spot over Ben, which – I mean, would you rather have Tobias Harris get the second all-star spot than Ben Simmons right now if you're the Sixers? I mean, or... <laughs> yeah, I kind of I kind of waver on that. It's... It, it all kind of... Tobias has just been so consistent. It, it kind of all depends on, like, how frustrating was Ben to watch the last game I saw him play. And he's been pretty good lately, so I, I might lean Ben. Um, but if there's a game where he goes three for nine from the field and doesn't have an incredibly impactful defensive game, then I might go back to Tobias. Either way, I, 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 yeah, I would go Middleton as, as that kind of 12 spot. Um, I had all this, the same names you, you already mentioned written down. Um, I think Vuce and Jeremy Grant have both been good, but their teams haven't been good enough and they haven't been good enough to overcome their teams not being that good. Yeah. Their, team, the, their teams, like if you took Vooch or Jeremy Grant off of those teams, like, 
I don't know how either team would function. Yeah. But Grant, Grant, this is his first year really having made the leap. So I don't think people feel like he's due. So I don't think there's really any chance he would get it. And Vuce has made an all-star team before. So I feel like people look at that and they're like, oh, well, he's he's been awarded in the past. We don't need to go out of our way to give him one. It's not like you you look at Nikola Vucevic and you're like that that's a guy that needs to make the all-star team every year so they're I don't I don't think he's given the magic struggles going to make it um yeah I think like Randall Sexton and Hayward are all in that guys that their teams are doing a little better than expected they're all in that group that's in the either tied for sixth or in a, in a play in game positioning and they've all been really good. Uh Levine's been putting up good numbers again. I haven't watched enough Bulls games to know like if he's gone from he's passing ter- terrible defender to like passable defender. The defense which... is still bad, but the big thing is like I mean it's slightly better, but the big thing is just offensively, he's become a like I think it was I can't remember who tweeted like Zach Levine the playmaker is a real thing now where he can like run an offense and pass through it, which just that makes him an elite offensive player. Yeah. And that's really – it's like, well, we're giving Trey Young recognition, and even though that's – then him and Zach Levine functionally do a lot of the same things, which is just run – they are playing on teams that do not have great offensive, like, capabilities, but they can generate some good offense through their own talent, even though they give a lot of those points back on defense. So I'm not even saying I would give it to Zach Levine, but just, like, it's, like, it's very hard to argue, like, Tobias Harris versus Zach Levine's an argument that I'm not sure Tobias Harris is going to win, even if we want him to. And then, like, one guy I think is – I mean, Gordon Hayward's played a great season this year. Gordon yeah. Hayward has, The Hornets are six in the East, even if they're at 10 and 12. And Gordon Hayward has been their best player. So, that just – that matters a lot. Yeah, it does. He's And he's been an all-star in the past, and people like the kind of narrative arc of him – falling off because of injury and then coming back and proving the doubters wrong after he signed the big contract like that, that all plays into it. So mm-hmm. he, he's definitely a guy that's going to be in that group for consideration for the last couple spots. Um, and I already mentioned Brogdon who's having a really good year and he's stayed healthy, which has always been the problem for him. And he's, I think, I think when uh, Sixers played the Pacers, I, I had looked and he had played every game this year for Indiana. Um, I don't know if I assume he still has. Um, so he's, he's been really good. Uh, yeah. Just looking at it, we, we kind of said we had 11 locks and then I would give Middleton that, that 12 spot. And then there's still a half dozen guys in that group with Tobias and Ben where I wouldn't go crazy if someone made the argument that they, one of those guys should make it over either Tobias or Ben. So yeah, really hard, really crowded field. Um, I don't, I don't really see the Sixers getting a second All-Star. You know, I'm okay with Malcolm Brogdon not getting any more recognition throughout his <laughs> owes Joella Bede a Rookie of the Year award. So. What is what is the Rookie of the Year to All-Star appearance conversion ratio? What, how, does, how does that work out? <laughs> It'll be whatever, however many All-Star appearances Joel finishes with, to one. So, okay. but, uh, <laughs> oh man. No, it's just... It's really hard to make the all-star game. I mean, especially now in a loaded Eastern conference. And like, if you're going to try and argue for Tobias, the problem is that teams and it feels wrong to have the Sixers only have one all-star despite being first in the East, but they're not like destroying the league. Like they give multiple all-stars to teams when they're like 10 games ahead of everybody else in the standings, outscoring everybody by a ton of points. Like think back to not last year because Middleton was really good last year, but Middleton's first all-star appearance in 2019, he was not actually that great that year. He'd actually had better stats been probably was a little bit better of a player of the year before 2019 was a little bit down for him, but because the bucks were like 10 games ahead of everybody and had the best point differential in the league, everyone said, well, they need a second guy. And Middleton was that guy. Whereas the Sixers are 16 and seven have funny enough, only the third best point differential in the conference behind Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Like as we've noted multiple times, the Sixers have just been 
The Sixers, I think, are up to nine and one in clutch games this year, which is games within five points in the last five minutes. So it's been a lot of the Sixers winning games that they don't necessarily dominate their competition. Savvy and, move on their part to lose so badly to Portland that that didn't hurt their clutch stats then. Yes, exactly. But, um, <laughs> so, and then you can point to the Sixers like, so they're the first team in the East, but they're not dominating. And while Tobias and Ben have, are both very good players, if you want to know, if, the question is, well, how do the Sixers only, only have one all-star if they're the best team in the East right now? You point to that first half against Portland. It's like, oh, it's because Joel Embiid exists. It's because Joel Embiid is carrying, like, everything to a certain degree. And he's what everything hinges on. It's like, and that's why there's a legit MVP argument for Joel, but maybe there's not a li- gr- as great of all-star arguments for Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons. And again, like, if Tobias Harris makes the all-star team over Chris Middleton and Gordon Hayward, it is not a travesty. Tobias has played great, and he deserves recognition of some kind. And I would, I mean, we'd both be very happy if that happens. Just, I'm just trying to like warn Sixers fans that if it doesn't happen, it is not also some should be something we should be outraged against. It's more like, huh, the East is pretty good now. And it's just hard to be one of the 12 best players in the conference in a year where a lot of guys are playing well. And Tobias and Ben are probably certainly two of the 20 best players in the conference, but there aren't 20 all-star slots. Yeah, it's like you said, you can say the Sixers are so good because they have the Eastern Conference MVP frontrunner and they have two guys who would... They're all-star caliber. All-star caliber. Like, a lot of teams don't have an MVP and two all-star caliber players alongside them. And that's why the Sixers are doing so well. And it's the same thing every year. If if you're not the best player in your team, you're going to go up against when you're talking about all-star consideration, you're going up against guys who are the best player on their team for teams that haven't performed as well. And then you have to kind of parse individual success versus team success and how much that plays into it. And then you have to go up against all the other guys who are the second best player on their respective teams. So that now you're talking about like Jalen Brown on the Celtics and Middleton on the Bucks, And uh, Brooklyn has multiple guys mm-hmm. who could be considered uh, in this conversation. So yeah, it's it's tough, and it. I I think Tobias and Ben both being kind of in this conversation hurts their, each of their individual candidacies. Like if if the Sixers only had one kind of second banana right now, it'd be easier to make the argument for him. Versus, it's kind of like a splitting votes situation a little bit with Tobias and Ben. Um, yeah, it and it's just it's a really crowded field. So. You, you know what, Tobias, if Tobias doesn't make the All-Star team, you know what his, his reward for playing so well is? It's not being hated by the entire Sixers fan base. <laughs> that is certainly true. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on is just how weird it is. I think going through, because we mentioned every team in the East having at least one guy who it's not crazy to argue for them. Probably the hardest one is Jeremy Grant for the Pistons or Julius Randle for the Knicks. And again, not crazy arguments for either. Then looking through the West, it's just – the league nowadays, it feels like you can at least with every team at least make an argument for one guy as an all-star. I mean, going through the West, the Jazz, of course, Clippers, Lakers, Nuggets, Blazers, Suns, all have all-star players. The Warriors, Steph Curry. The Spurs, I think DeRozan has played at a very good level. I think John Hollinger in his column the other day had DeRozan as an all-star if he was picking today, which you could debate that, but I mean, I can hear the argument for it. The Grizzlies, John Morant's been incredible. The Kings, I love De'Aaron Fox. I think he's been great. The Thunder have Shea Gilgis-Alexander has been playing really well. The Mavericks have Luka. The Pelicans have Zion and Brandon Ingram. The Timberwolves, of the guys active right now, I don't think you can make an argument for any of them. But obviously, if Cat was healthy, Cat is a very good player. Really, the only one I look at where you probably can argue to me that any of their players are all-stars right now are the Houston Rockets, who are filled with, like, the 2017 all-stars, which is John or 2018 All-Stars of John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, and uh, Victor Oladipo, who are all still solid players, especially I think John Wall's had a pretty good season. But the Rockets are a bizarre team that's very fun to watch. Uh, But they're like, the Rockets don't make any sense now, but they are still fun. And I don't think they have any All-Star players, but just like, I think it's kind of cool that we have a league now where I feel like there's no team where I just go, there. 
except for maybe that t- weird team like the Rockets, where there's at least one guy there who you can make an argument deserves that kind of top 40, top 50 player recognition. And talking about Houston, Christian Wood has been their oh, best yeah. player this year. Christian but Wood, then, then I'm wrong because Christian Wood does deserve all-star consideration. Well, I, I was going to say he just sprained his ankle last night, and it, it looks like it's pretty bad, like he, a, at, at least like a four- to six-week injury. So I think that would knock him out of the running. Yeah, better, Christian. We all love you here in the process world. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, the NBA is in a good place. They There's – more talent than ever before i would argue and that's that's partially that you know money drives it a lot but it also the amount of talent is plays into the fact that the league's thinking about expansion and adding two more teams because they think they have the talent pool to support that and uh i i think they're right it's there's just a lot of great players in the league right now so it's a good time to be a fan i actually want to just before we go here that's actually probably a fun thing to do because i this is a thought experiment it's very fun i think about all the time you have two places. We have two expansion teams to add. Me and you, you are now co-commissioners of the NBA. Where are we putting teams? Obviously, one has to be the Seattle Supersonics coming back, right? Yeah, that's a no-brainer. Yeah, that's, that's the whole reason they're even thinking yeah. about expansion is but because Seattle deserves a team. We need a second team because 32 looks better than 31. Um, let's think. So it just have to be in the, more towards the east to kind of try – or at least the middle of the country to balance – no, people people have done this, and and they it works out that you would just move either like Minnesota or New Orleans, or Memphis to the east, like one of those. I vote like, I vote for Minnesota, and that is not because that's basically four wins a year for the Sixers, or three or four, yeah. <laughs> um, like what's a good like? I know I've I've heard I've thought about Baltimore before, just because. I mean, Baltimore is a city. Like, you think of all these cities that have other pro sports teams. It wouldn't be Baltimore because they have a D.C. team. Yeah. I think that's too close. Um, what about St. The, Louis? Yeah, that's been a name that's been thrown around, and uh, I think that's a possibility. Um, obviously, Vegas gets talked about a lot because, you know, there's, they have other pro sports teams now in the NHL and NFL. The idea of Vegas, like, that's just – I, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of putting another basketball team. <laughs> so they could definitely do that. I, I I would love for Vegas to have a team. I My only counter is that I kind of love the idea that Vegas is the summer league location. Yeah, and that's, that's just where everyone descends in the summer. And that's like the NBA's hub for all things summer. Um, I remember someone saying, "What has ever? Why does? Why do not more people question the fact that once we give all these rookies like millions of dollars for the first time in our life, the first thing we do is send them to Las Vegas for two weeks?" It's like, a beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It makes like, no sense, but <laughs> there's some like processing error that goes on here. Where wait a second, it's just um, it's it's a real sink or swim for like the NBA lifestyle to just expose them to Vegas and that's their their first kind of experience with as as nba players it's it's really funny um seattle we do need a second one i I vancouver getting back a team has been something that's been thrown out although i i think that's like because isn't vancouver close to like the northwest of america if i'm remembering my canadian geography yeah it's right kind of above seattle so yeah you could have them them uh seattle the two expansion teams you have portland Seattle uh, taking that like demographic. And I also think that Canada works well as I think the Raptors whole branded branding as basically Canada's team has been very good for them. Like, yeah, that's true. But you know, Canada is a, it's an entire country. So I think if you have Vancouver back in the league, like Western Canada does not affiliate with Toronto. That's, that's like saying we need to pull our Western. If like Denver, Denver was the only team in the United States. I'd be like saying people here in Philadelphia have really root for Denver because they're the, the United States team. Like, sure, you'd hope that you had a success, but if if Pittsburgh had a team, I, I guarantee you would root a heck of a lot harder for Pittsburgh if those if Pittsburgh and Denver are the only two teams in the U.S. Oh, but what do we make the Vancouver team then? Because the Grizzlies are already taken. 
and it doesn't feel right to have a team in Vancouver that isn't named the Grizzlies. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure they can come up with something appropriately like cold weather related. Um, you're the one. You're the one backing Vancouver. What's your idea? Uh, I don't know. Like the the Yetis or the Vancouver Yetis. Yeah. I like. I just like bringing back the old team names, like. St. Louis, you just make them the spirits of St. Louis and run with it. That'd be good. Um, what about the Snow Dogs, the Vancouver Snow Dogs? That is a good one. I, I, I'm okay. I'm getting a little more warm to the idea of Vancouver, but I still, I kind of like to have it spread out there. I also think St. Louis is just like a cool, like, I mean, because we always talk about the small markets and the. I don't know if St. Louis counts as a small market, but still, it's a midwestern city that not on one of the coasts that gets a lot of attention usually, but I think St. Louis has shown they can support sports teams. They lost their football team a few years ago. So that's also another point, like losing their football team, probably when the, once they get another pro sports team back, would probably incentivize the fan base there more to go with them. Cause it's kind of like we lost something that we cared about and now we have this back, at least something really to rally around. If that makes yeah. sense. Yep. Um, just another one to throw out there. Uh, Tampa has obviously been the home for the Raptors well, this year. Like, even Florida. We have my we have Miami and Orlando covered down there. Just Orlando's already a bizarre like choice for an NBA market. So and it's already kind of covered there. So I, I don't know about that one. Yeah, I'm just you know I'm throwing out possibilities. I, I I'm fine. I'm fine anywhere. Honestly, more teams, more fun in my book. I always as long as Seattle gets that's that's the one that needs to get rectified Seattle does need to come back um the one I always like when you play video games or I used to so I would I mean sometimes when I play 2k just make team expand the league and put teams in Seattle and stuff like that in other places or I, I also I'm a big fan of NCAA football 14 which there's now been news that the game will be coming back in some version which has me very excited um I would always do this like create a team things and I I made a college football team in Alaska that I loved playing with. I always thought it was just fun to put a team in Alaska. So if I like had full autonomy, I might even do that and just go crazy with it. I yeah, that'd be a hard sell to get NBA players to have to go to Alaska. And there's a lot of there's a lot of logistical concerns because I know uh how far is Alaska from Vancouver? Just, I just want to ask it. It's like, a cu- it's at least a c- couple hour flight. Like I know Alaska, they make it look really close on the map, but <laughs> it, Alaska is pretty far away. Is it? Yeah. Alaska's gigantic too. I think it's the largest state in the U.S. Actually, I I don't know. I can't speak to that. I'm I I, I do know it's big, but I'm not gonna. Well, I, I'm okay. I'm. This is pr- now. This is premium audio content right here. Exactly. Yes. I'm pretty sure it's Alaska. I would think Texas would still be the, the largest. By no, it's a, okay. Okay, here we go. So, top four. So fourth is Montana at one hundred and forty-seven thousand square miles. Third, California, about one hundred sixty-four thousand square miles. Second is Texas, two hundred and sixty, about two hundred sixty-nine thousand square miles. How many square miles do you think Alaska is? You said Texas was two forty. About two, it's close to 270k. 270k, Alaska, uh, around 400. Then Alaska is 665,384 square miles, yeah, almost triple the size of Texas. You're not putting an NBA team there. <laughs> what if we started an Alaskan basketball league? It clearly has the we could clearly have enough space to build gyms. Trajan Lang then could be the commissioner, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay this is this pod has gone off the rails we started with dissecting the sixers lost to the blazers and are now referring to square miles of alaska so you're, you're now trying to start a basketball league in alaska so well i think that's a sign of a good pod that we got off the rails at some point but yeah, uh, I agree. uh sean great talking to you we'll see you next week the sixers have a big game this week against the nets on saturday uh as we edge closer towards the middle of the season but even after the loss, your Philadelphia 76ers are still in first place in the East, and we will talk to you next week. Saturday night is when Joel Embiid finally gets the 50 spot that he's oh, been yeah. flirting with because Brooklyn has been giving up about 140 points a game, even in wins. So, oh, yeah. yeah, 
it, it should be a fun one and uh, looking forward to that and uh, looking forward to talking to you next week so have a good week everybody First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on mom? <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.